is the last week of Missions Month uh, as far as the, the missions emphasis. Have you guys in, enjoyed this time, this season? You guys listening? Have you all enjoyed this? You guys enjoyed the, the speakers and uh, the testimonies and all that good stuff? I know that I have. Uh, it's been encouraging to hear uh, just from everybody, we've—I mean, everybody from the visitations who have lived and, and served in other countries to um, to different people that have been adopted and the whole orphan emphasis. There's just a lot of things we've heard from a lot of people, and um, from Sean and Katora, and uh, from Chris Mullins, and just a lot of people. Uh, and it's been really encouraging to me. And I'm I'm excited about all of these trips. You guys are signing up for these trips. We're going to Ghana, to Peru, to uh, to New Orleans, and. Uh, it's just—it's going to be interesting to see where the, the Lord might lead us, even in the future. How many trips might He send our church on? How far will He allow us to go with the gospel? You know what I mean? Those kinds of things are encouraging. So I've loved this, and we'll do this every year. Um, hope you guys have enjoyed it too. One of the things that we've said every week, pretty much, I think, is that um, those who follow Christ must be missions-minded. You guys remember me saying that? Those who follow Christ must be missions-minded. As believers, we've got to be aware of the depravity around us. When I say depravity, I mean the corrupt. I mean the, uh, the wicked, the perversion. And we obviously live in a world that is full of those things. We live in a depraved, uh, fallen world. And we have to be aware of our surroundings and, and not forget the world that we live in, not forget the type of environment that we live in. And we've also got to be um, acutely aware of the mandate upon our lives to introduce righteousness to this world. When I say righteousness, I mean Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus Christ, we have been made righteous. And, um, you know, it's important for us to, to introduce that to the world. Being missions-minded means walking out the gospel on purpose and walking out the gospel with purpose, walking out the gospel intentionally um, and letting our words and our actions point people to God. We get caught up in all kinds of things, but let's not forget um, who we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be people who our words, our actions, our lives are pointing people to Jesus Christ, living the gospel. We can't um, we can't compartmentalize this part of our life like we do other areas of our life. You know, we have our home life and we have our uh, work life and then we have our extracurricular life and, and we relate to people this way at this curricular activity, this way at this extracurricular activity and we just have, you know, we have our, we have our worldly friends but then we have our godly friends. We have our, our, our normal life, our regular life but then we've got our church life. And then, of course, this summer, six, seven months from now, we're going to go on a mission trip, and then we're going to share the gospel. Listen, uh, being missions-minded means that whatever the compartment in our life, the gospel of Jesus Christ has to enter it. It has to be the center of it. We can't compartmentalize the gospel and what we carry the way we do other places. You know, when Marvin came on staff to help us as a church emphasize outreach and uh, in um, missions, one of the first things that we did is we added uh, another value to our shared values. Most of you guys are familiar. If you've been here a long time, you know that we have um, five, now six, shared values. We value authentic worship. 
We value transformational truth. I was praying earlier about truth that transforms us. We value um, permeating relationships, relationships that go deeper than the surface. We value that. We value selfless giving, not just in finances, but in every area of our life. We value intentional discipleship, doing things on purpose to bring pers- people from point A to point B in their walk with the Lord. And, uh, and we're, I think we're doing very well at those things, and we hope to grow in those things as a church, as we get older and, and mature as people and as a church. But we've added uh, a sixth one, and it's missional living. Missional living. What in the world is that? Is missional even a word? Well, actually, I don't, I don't think it is. <laughs> in the dictionary, maybe. But the idea is living as missionaries. Our lives, we are living, walking, breathing missionaries. I may not be overseas, but guess what? I work at the school or I work at the whatever, and I'm a living missionary. We value missional living because we value living out the love of Christ because we believe that it's going to compel the spiritually lost to come and follow him. We believe the love of Christ will compel the spiritually lost to follow him. And thinking about the, spiritual, the, spiritual, uh, the spiritually lost has got to be more frequent in our life. If we're, if we're all honest, if we can all sit here with, with complete honesty, we would say, you know, God, I really don't think about people who are spiritually lost that know that don't know Jesus I just don't think about it that much well we have to it can't just be during an organized outreach it can't just be on a domestic mission trip or an international mission trip it has to be every day in every part of our life and really it's the difference between uh, living for ourselves doing things for ourselves doing things that build up our life and doing things for the purpose of building up the kingdom of God, doing things for the purpose of, of, of that kingdom expanding and that kingdom building. And there's blessings along the way in that. We don't have to worry about, about our lives. I mean, that's was a, a biblical principle. Jesus laid it out for us. If you seek first the kingdom of God, all of these things that we, we concern ourselves with, building up our lives, adding to our lives, those things are going to be taken care of. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added to you. And I'll be the first to admit that it's a very scary thing to dive into that wholeheartedly. To walk that out with with real conviction. You know what I mean? With great conviction. It's a very scary thing for a multitude of of reasons. For the most part, because it, it falls under that heading of your life is no longer your own. You guys hear what I'm saying? That's the big reason. Everything else, all the other reasons fall under that one big reason. Your life no longer belongs to you. Why? Because you have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Your life is not your own. You are uh, no longer a slave to, to sin and the flesh and yourself. You are a slave to righteousness. You belong to God. Therefore, your life has to move forward reflecting that from now on. Amen? It's a very scary thing to start living your life as though it's not your own. But you know that God hasn't given us a spirit, of, uh, a spirit of fear, has he? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. In fact, I want you to turn there. This is going to be our text today. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit 
of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This this verse is um, a lot of times used to teach on fear. um, And it's a great verse to teach on when when talking about fear. I'm not actually going to be talking about fear, though I will say um, many of us are driven by fear in multiple areas of our life. It's uncanny if you stop to make a list of the things that you do, say, uh, your relationships, You know, you can start listing them out. And how am I driven in that area? A lot of times, many things are driven by fear. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit next week. I will say this, and if you have something to write with and on, I want you to write this down as it pertains to fear. Fear is a very good driver. Fear is a very good driver. And if we let him, he will drive us crazy. I mean that. I know it sounds funny, but I mean it. He will drive us crazy, and he will drive us away from God's purposes. Picture fear behind the wheel. It's very good. It'll drive us crazy. It'll drive us away from God's purposes. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that this week. I want to focus on the tail end of the scripture. It says, He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. And as I was reading this this past week, what I found uh, as it pertains to missional living, living as, as missionaries, are three, I sound like a real preacher here, three essentials to effective missional living. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, if we are going to be living, breathing, walking missionaries, then you know, it stands to reason that we want to be effective as we're doing it. I can't imagine that any of us set out with the purpose of being ineffective in our ventures. That just doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, I believe the word kind of spells out at least three from this verse, three things that are essential for us to be effective living missionaries. It says, uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The first one is power. Of course, if we're talking about power, we're talking about the power of what? The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. You remember back in Acts 1, we were actually, as a church, going through the book of Acts together. And when we were in the first chapter of Acts, we remember the scene where Jesus is about to depart this earth and to go sit at the right hand of the Father. And before he leaves his disciples, he says all kinds of things. But one of the things he says is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the other parts of the world, all over the world, the remotest parts. Makes me think of that video, that third that hasn't heard yet. He's saying you will be empowered from on high to be my witness to all those places near and far. And I'll just say this, without the Holy Spirit, Even our best delivery of the gospel is rendered ineffective. Now, let me qualify that. I know that God's word doesn't return void. I know that um, God's word 
And uh, when we speak it, that it can do mighty things. What I'm saying is that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are in his word, in his presence, praying, worshiping, we just live this life that is above par, that is above the world, that is separated from the world because it's a life of holiness and righteousness. When we're living that kind of life, we become his witness. And when we are his witness, something's happening. Something different's going down. This is going to be a different missionary encounter. This is going to be a different witness session. We're going to be empowered to effectively not just speak the gospel, not just tell somebody the story of Jesus or communicate how good he is and and his love and all that, but even our lives, our very lives, uh, modeling it, just even modeling it is going to be so effective because it's going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit that people's lives are going to be transformed. There's all kinds of people that you can read about, fathers of the faith and great missionaries and people, Peter himself, guys that are just walking along kind of minding their own business. And people are like getting healed. People are getting saved. Who was it that was walking in the grocery store one day and someone came up to him. Somebody said it. Somebody say it. I thought I heard somebody say it. Uh, Was it Wigglesworth? Someone like that. One of those great Smith Wiggleworth. Somebody like that was great. Was walking in the the, um, grocery market or the store or whatever one day and someone ran up to him, fell on their knees and said, what must I do to be saved? I mean, what the heck is that? He's just trying to get some bananas and apples. But these guys are wanting salvation. What made him even think of it and consider it? The presence of God was all over this guy. Why? Because his faith was off the charts. He spent time with God. He had the power of the Holy Spirit on his side. Amen? You know, we sang this song, fill us up and send us out. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't want, want, I don't want, I don't want, (laughs) phrases like that to just be words on a screen. I don't want that. Fill us up and send us out. You know, hurry before I get to McAllister's and have my sweet tea. You know, I don't want to be juiced on sweet tea alone. I want to be juiced by the Holy Spirit. So when we sing those things, we don't just say it with rhetoric and religion in our mind, but we say, Lord, I, this, is, this is a song that Sean put on the screen and it's just words on a screen, but this is my very prayer. And Jesus said, you want the Holy Spirit? Just ask for it. I'll fill you up. So when we say, fill us up and send us out, it's our prayer. It's our heart cry. And God's like, I love that. I love when it's, when it's more than just rhetoric. I love when it's the cry of your heart. And his promise is in his word that he will fill you up. And if your heart is to be sent out, he'll send you out. The second thing he says, you know, he's given a spirit of fear, but of power and love. Marvin and I were talking this week about how love is just such a, such a difficult topic to tackle because it's, it's like vast. It's very difficult. And I think it's because when we say love, especially in, 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 in um, verses like this, we know that we're talking about agape love. We're talking about a love that is unconditional. We all stink at unconditional love. But it's, that's what he's filled us with, his unconditional love. As it relates to missional living, living as missionaries, love is at least two things. And if you want to write these things down, you can. Love is seeing people 
and love is helping people. It's pretty simple, at least outline-wise. Love is seeing people, and love is helping people. Most of what we see around us is very sad because of the depravity, because of the wickedness, the perversion around us. It's very sad. But when God fills us up, sends us out, something sparks inside of us. Something is ignited. And it's this deep, I can't even explain it, desire to help. And listen, when we're helping people who live depraved lives, it's nothing less than a labor of love. What else could you explain it? How else can you explain why I'm here serving or talking to or ministering to the person? It's because love has provoked you. Love has compelled you. Love has drawn you. You have become a living missionary. Why? Because he has filled you up. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're, you know, it's going to come out. Helping people and seeing people. Um, I was pondering what Marvin shared last week about love. It was very, very good. And uh, I was kind of pondering that and then just in some of my own study and reading. And uh, somewhere in the midst of all that, I came up with a definition of love. Not that we don't have enough definitions of love. We have all kinds of definitions. I'm going to add one to your hopper, okay? At least as it relates to missional living. And feel free to write this down. Love is accepting people for who they are and helping, helping them become who they ought to be. Love is accepting people for who they are and helping them to become who they ought to be. Very, very, very simple. If we can tattoo that somewhere on our body, if we're going to get a tattoo, tattoo something like that. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, seriously. To remind us. It's like, oh yeah, see people, help people. Look real quick at Hebrews 10, 24. I want you to turn there because I want you to write something in your Bible. Hebrews 10, verse 24. This is one of my favorite scriptures, actually. It says, and please turn there if you can, if you have your Bibles. Hebrews 10, verse 24. A lot of good stuff in this, this whole chapter. 24 basically says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another, some of your versions say, to spur one another on, to love and good deeds. And for the most part, this is talking about the saints, it's talking about brothers in the faith, but couldn't this also apply to those who have yet come to the faith? Of course it could. Let us consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And what I want you to do is I want you to um, circle or make a square around the word consider and then draw you a line out somewhere to your margin so that you'll remember the definition of this word because it's important, especially if you have the desire to be a living missionary. That word, the, the top definition of what consider how to spur one another on is look more closely. Look more closely. Write it in and don't forget it. You could read the scripture like this. Look more closely how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Look more closely. 
Lord, help us to open our eyes. Help us to see more clearly. Help us to to look more closely within our home, within our family, our extended family, our work, our school, whatever the compartment is, help us to look more closely and offer the gospel in the midst of that situation. Amen? He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And the last one is a sound mind. A sound mind. And this word consider right here in Hebrews 10, 24, you're welcome to write this in. You don't have to. It also can mean to fix your mind, which is very close, I suppose, to look more closely. But, but to fix your mind, you could read it like this. Fix your mind on how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Right? Couldn't you read it that way? Fix your mind. Fix your mind. A mind fixed. A fixed mind. It sounds very close to a sound mind, does it not? A fixed mind. Fix your mind. A sound mind. Some of your versions say, um, it hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and discipline. Some of your versions say of self-control. Some of your versions say of self-discipline. And those are all very good things, all very good renderings of that word. One of the things I thought as I was just kind of studying is that the root of this word right here means to hold one to his duty. To hold one to his duty. It's almost like you could read it like this. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a strong sense of duty. I'm going to read a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. You guys know who C.S. Lewis is. Most of you read his works. Most of us can barely handle it, but we read it anyway. <laughs> Nothing personal. He says, he, talking about God, he works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, he works on us through each other. Men are mirrors or carriers of Christ to other men. Usually, it's those who know him that bring him to others. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing him to one another is so important. It is easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects. Education, buildings, missions, holding services. The church exists for no other purpose but to draw men to Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, all the clergy or ministers, all the missions, all the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. I'm thinking about this, this sound mind, how the core of that word means uh, basically a strong sense of duty, to hold one to his or her duty. C.S. Lewis is talking about um, purpose. He's talking about God's purpose, how he sent Jesus for the purpose of bringing people back to God, reconciling back to God, bringing them near by his blood. And as this week as I was pondering that, I was thinking about Romans 8.28. We're all familiar with that, that God works all things for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but why, why does he do that? 
It's like you got to be busy than to figure out how to make good out of our mistakes. Surely you got better things to do. But it's because we've been called according to his purposes. He wants to, he wants to pick us up, wipe our jeans off, get back up and get going. I have purposes for you. I have purposes and plans. It's all through the word. Every one of us. Everyone that he created, he has a plan and a purpose for. The center of that plan is to bring God glory. Our purpose or our calling, as in duty, like what we're talking about, is to be carriers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not just our duty, it's our privilege. But hey, it is our duty. You guys agree with that? It's a privilege and it's a duty. If you think about Ephesians 6, it's where it lays out the armor of God. And apparently it's very essential and very beneficial to have this list of armor that Paul lays out for us. One of the pieces of armor that it says is essential for this walk, for this Christian life, for this missional living, this living as missionaries, apparently is shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel. It says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this is just a figurative way of saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ has got to be on the move. And we are the ones that carry it. And it should not be a burden. It should be a joy. Amen? It shouldn't be a burden to carry the gospel. It should be a joy. Uh, in 97, uh, 1997, Melissa and I went with a group of people to... Um, the Beartooth Mountains in Montana, and we did a, a hiking, camping trip. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. It's also one of the funniest experiences of my life. You drive up to the base of the mountain, you got all your gear, and, and you pack it up. And when they were packing the packs, we all were packing the packs, and you know, you're, you're um, it's very cool, actually. You're camping as a community, so somebody needs to carry the, the big pan, somebody needs to carry the grate, and somebody needs to carry the food, and somebody, you guys hear what I'm saying? And so we're all distributing all that stuff, and I don't know how it happened, but it's like, it's like somehow Melissa and I had pack mule written on the top of our head. It's like, gee whiz, you know, a, a normal size pack for hiking is about 50 pounds, you know, that's, that's not too bad. Most, Melissa's pack was 60 pounds, my pack was 100 pounds. I have this big iron skillet. I am not joking. Me and another guy. There's another guy with us. It's about 6'5 um, and 900 pounds or so. I mean, he's just massive. His pack was about 100 pounds. My pack was about 100 pounds. And uh, it just felt like a pack mule, you know? And so you, you basically get that on you and you strap it on and you start hiking. It's a five-mile hike into... It's uh, a long way. That's kind of what I was thinking, except for I was too tired to whistle, you know? But we're, we're hiking in, and, and you're just carrying all this weight, and you're going up and down. And it's like, it, but it's just right there. But you've got to go down 10 switchbacks just to get there. You know, it's like a, some sort of evil video game, you know, going up the deal. But it's, it's crazy because the whole time you just get in this zone, and you've got 100 pounds, 50 to 100 pounds on your pack, and you're just climbing, and you're climbing, and you're climbing, and you're not thinking, I hate this. Somehow it's a joy. It is, believe me. It was a joy. That was a, a lot of exertion, a lot of weariness. And I had this, I remember having this parka on because it was kind of in the colder part of the season. This parka on that, that, that was real tight around my arms and the, just the elastic was really tight. 
And uh, I can remember sweating so bad. Every now and then I would have to pull that out. And it's like de-spitting your tuba. You know what I mean? You guys ever, how many of your horn players in school? Every now and then you got to blow the, you know? It's gross. It's disgusting. So every now and then you just, okay, I got to relieve myself here, you know, that way. It's very interesting. Both arms. It just, oh my goodness. And I'll just say this too. We got up to the top of the top of this one face or this one mountain and you, you, you come up to the top and you're like, oh my gosh. There's this lake on the other side of this ridge called Mystic Lake. And that wasn't, we had to go, I think, two miles past that. But even right there, it was like, whoa, this is worth the pain that my leg and my whole body really is feeling at this point. Because it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. Now, what was interesting is when we got to the top of that, all of a sudden we had these radios and we heard, come in, you know. So we came in. We're like, yeah, what's going on? Well, there were a couple older people that came on the trip. And they were not as joyful about carrying the pack as I was. Melissa and I literally had to take our packs off, trek back down the hill, and grab their pack and come all the way back up to Mystic Lake. Take their packs off, put ours on, and go all the way to the, the site. Take our packs off, go all the way back to Mystic Lake, grab their packs. I'm telling you, pack, mule. I don't know what the deal was. It was a pleasure to do that because they really were, this was going to be their last time that they were going to be able to do this type of a trip. And so it was a joy to serve them that way. But my point is, is like, yeah, it's a lot of weight. It's a heavy load. It's a, it's a, it, seem, it could seem like a burden, but the joy that is set before us, the fruit that it's going to bring, you can't trade anything for that. And so it's a joy. It's not a burden to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, you know what? My load or my burden, it's not heavy. It's light. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the, there's a couple of things I wanted to reiterate that I said the first week of, uh, of, of Missions Month. One of them is that our desires and our attempts to share the gospel is really a testimony of his work in us. I'm not talking about our ability to preach the gospel, but our desires and our attempts to preach the gospel is a testimony of his work in us. It speaks of what he's done. It authenticates the message. You know, the, the scripture for Missions Month is um, Romans twelve fifteen. It says... Uh, How can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. When he says, as it is written, Paul is is remembering the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52, where he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are those feet. And in Romans, the word used for beautiful isn't like, hey, put your makeup on, we're going to a party, kind of beautiful. The most common use of that word, as I said, that week, first week of Missions Month, it taught, it's, it um, is used to describe puberty. A young person coming of age the blooming or the bud, budding of a, of a young boy or a young girl speaks of a, of a maturing. And so I said publicly proclaiming 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and his love that is available to all is one of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity. It's one of the greatest signs. Spiritual maturity is something that we all talk about. We say that we are or we say we want to get there. I just want to grow in the Lord. I want to go deeper with God. I want to go up the mountain. I want to we say all of those things. You know, one of the most practical ways that you can strive for spiritual maturity and prove that you are on the road to blooming as a believer, just begin sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. With your words, with your actions, God can do amazing things through both. Don't cop out with just actions. There's times where we need to use words. Amen? It's the greatest sign of spiritual maturity. You know, I was talking about our purpose or our calling as in duty to be carriers of the good news. But I wanted to say just real quick, I want to talk about our highest calling. Our highest calling is to enjoy personal fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the highest calling. We're called to be carriers of the gospel, but the highest calling is to first enjoy personal fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the church in Philippi one time, and he's talking about himself. He says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the highest calling of God in Christ Jesus. Some of your versions say the upward calling. He's saying, I press towards that mark for the prize of the high calling, the highest calling, the upward calling. And that word calling right there um, is mostly used for a call or an invitation to, to feast, to dinner, is one that's most commonly used, an invitation to a feast. It's very obvious that Paul is saying that the highest calling is to fellowship with God, to commune with God, to sup with Him, to dine with Him, to be with Him, to be intimately close with Him. Remember what C.S. Lewis said in that quote? He said, usually, it's those who know Him that bring him to others. It's those who are intimately acquainted with him that will bring him to others. It's those who are convinced of the truth. Those who have a sound mind, a fixed mind about who Jesus Christ is, what he's done, and what he's able to bring to every soul that will bring others to him or bring him to others. And just before that in, in Philippians he says you know, there's a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he says, and, and we all know this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may be intimately acquainted with him and intimately acquainted with the power of his resurrection. Paul is saying some very specific things. And I'll just say it like this. When we know Jesus Christ, and when we know the power of his resurrection, in other words, a testimony of his work in us, we will be living missionaries who find it a privilege to be carriers of the gospel. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see those around us transformed by the truth of his word. Amen? Now I want to end by asking five questions. How well, question number one, how well do you know him? How intimately acquainted are you with the son of the living God? How often do you pray 
to our Savior in his name. How often do you read this lamp, this light, this word? How often do you worship on your own when no one else is washing, when no one else can see how high your hands are lifted? How well do you know him? What is the testimony of his work in you? What are the things that you can remember, recall, celebrate that he has done in your life? Salvation, yes. Beyond that, how is he bringing you along? How is he stretching you? How is he providing for you? How is he working in your life? And can you communicate it? Could you tell somebody else about that? Have you told somebody else that? That's the, that's the third question. Are you carrying this gospel of love? Are you carrying this thing? Or is it too much of a burden? Is it a joy to be a carrier of the good news that will save a weary soul? Are you willing to look like a goof? Question number four, are those around you being transformed by the truth of God's word? Are those around you being transformed by the truth of God's word? In your home, your husband, your wife, your kids, your family, your neighbors, the people at work, the people at school, whatever compartments that you have, are the people in those compartments being transformed by the truth of God's word? And question number five, does your life play a significant part in that transformation? They're just honest questions that we ask ourselves so that we can assess, where am I on this journey? Where am I on this ascent of the holy hill of God?